Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro. David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Joe Goldberg is here. I'm here. I'm looking at my hazy skies because your Canadian smoke is blocking out my U.S. sun. Thank you very much. Well, we've got to clean that country somehow. <laughs> and Canada's just a country to do it, too. That's right. You've got to clean it out. It's really kind of a, it's not really smoke, you know. What is it's it? It's really a drug. It's a drug. And you think it's smoke. And the happiness drug? Yeah. It's going to be. It ain't working on me. Well, you're going to take an extra booster or two, right? You know, I need to go out and take some big gulps. Yeah, that's not. You're not an easy, you know, turnover here. That's going to be one rough, of the, but lovable. Yeah, well, that yeah, if that's what you want to call it. That was my nickname in the government, gruff but lovable. I bet it was. Um, it was. Yeah, I shan't make that up. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> I said shan't. Yeah, the Bosch of government. <laughs> well, now today we've got another. Uh, ex-government man who's in the writing world and his new book is called dead drop and it's the handler thriller and it's book two so mr mp woodward thanks for being here hey al hey joe thanks for having me hey so um you know i have to ask you haven't been on the show before so how did you get into the writing world i mean you have quite the history as um being in u.s intelligence ops and 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 stuff before and so what what got you into the writing part? Well, I, my background uh, as a naval intelligence officer uh, certainly informed a lot of how I thought about plots and ideas. But it, it was really the last uh, decade I spent with uh, Amazon in uh, Prime Video working in the streaming group where I got to meet lots of screenwriters and showrunners and uh, folks like that. That really, that really made me think a lot more about how to put together a story, how to make a compelling, succinct arc, and how to do a better characterization. So it was sort of a combination of those two things. Yeah, you know. So, do you like the uh, the industry? Of course, I don't want you to talk about Prime bad or good or anything. I'm not saying that. But when you when you were in that part of the the industry, um, do you like the do you like the way it is now with streaming rather than the old just basic cable? <laughs> I, I I do. Uh, it's um, I think I think it's amusing that you know we went from having a big cable bundle that cost uh, 150 bucks a month or whatever to now having 15 different uh, streaming services that are all you know five to ten dollars. But I think the the world of on demand is 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 definitely a step forward, and I think being able to choose the content you want is great. And I, as well, I would say that it enabled and, and democratized content creation. You know, we went from uh, whatever it was, 50 scripted shows a year to hundreds and hundreds um, when the streaming services all invest in that. And I think we're starting to see that 
you know, pull back a little bit, but I think all that has been really positive for the entertaining, consuming public. Do you think it puts a lot of pressure on, on writers, uh, people like yourself to come up with a lot of content when it's, when it's been such a boom? Well, I think that's a good problem to have, uh, for, for a writer, uh, frankly, uh, you know, a writer needs a, needs a laptop and that's, and that's about it. Uh, whereas, a producer needs a whole bunch of things and somebody to back it and, and a whole lot of money. Um, so I, I, I think that that is all generally positive. I do think that, um, streaming in general has had something of an impact on the literary world. You know, 20 or 30 years ago, everybody knew when uh, there was, say, a new James Michener book, you know, or a James Clavell book, and they were big, or Tom Clancy, and they were a thousand pages and that kind of thing. I feel like the um, attention span or maybe expectations of the entertaining and uh, entertainment consumer today has been modified a little bit by by streaming. And so now I, I think the books tend to tend, tend to read a lot more like movies than they used to. Did being around that world, the streaming world, impact your book writing? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I I think before, like I I was into um, plot and how this unfold. But when you get into the presentation of plot, um, I often visualized it as a screenwriter might, and really thought about well how. How, how do they do this? How do you advance a story simply by, you know, cutting from one setting to the next rather than having to explain how everybody got there? A lot of that, a lot of stuff, I think, in writing can actually be done, quote unquote, off camera. And I think that that can help make a story much more succinct and focused. And that's something that I picked up on um, in the video streaming world. So now your series, The Handler, this is book two. Um, tell us a little bit about what the series is. Yeah, it focuses on a, on a, a family, a divorced couple, uh, where the, the, the male, uh, whose name is John Dale has been, uh, is out of the CIA, but his ex-wife has stayed in. And in the first, uh, the first of the series, He's pulled back in effectively because of a, of a problem they have that only he can help solve. So he's forced to work with his ex-wife. And of course, there's, there's a lot of tension there. Um, and that, and that focused on, um, on, on getting someone out of, um, out of Iran. In this, um, in this second book, it's the same cast of characters, but it's much more focused on Israel and Mossad. And uh, the competition the CIA has with the Mossad and, and the different ways that the two spy agencies look at a, uh, a particular problem. And that puts them in conflict and endangers them. But throughout, I try to focus on this theme, um, this emotional connection between the, the two main characters and their daughter and, um, and, and how that can affect like, intelligence operations. Well, that's my next question. Let's stick with the character part. You obviously researched or know about the difficulty of having a family or relationships. I was in the agency. You know, divorce rate was high. People were always traveling. A lot of interagency relationships because of that. So you obviously were trying to describe that or use that as a, as a character development point. Yes, I was. Um, some of this goes back to my, my earlier career. Um, uh, when I was, when I was an intelligence officer, you know, my, my job was really to collate 
information coming in from various uh, various of America's spy agency resources, right? And so that includes the NSA and and the CIA and the various military uh, intelligence uh, services. And so in doing that, you know, you get to know people. And I think that that a lot of you know, regular civilians think of this world as being somewhat monolithic or populated with with sort of um, uh, prototypical carriers or, or, or characters that are stereotypes. Um, whereas in my experience, these are all very, very real people. And um, they are, for the most part, um, very much doing uh, something that they feel is very honorable, but they have conflicts um, in their personal lives, as, as we all do in our professional pursuits. And I simply wanted to to portray that. I didn't want to try to write a thriller where, you know, the main characters are the president and the secretary of defense, because, I, you know, I, I haven't I haven't worked in the White House, but I have worked with uh, the people doing these things at um, call it the kind of mid officer level. And I, I think of them as, you know, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I really wanted to uh, to dramatize that. How would you describe your relationship then with your characters in this series? <laughs> yeah, intimate, uh, um, <laughs> maybe psychologically unbalanced. Uh, I, I don't know how it is for, for other writers necessarily, but I get very emotional, um, when I'm, when I'm writing these things. And I think that when I do that, that, that actually, that actually comes through and, and is helpful. And I figure that if, if I can get emotional, um, about them, it's because I care about them and they've become real to me. And if they've become real to me, hopefully they've become um, real to my readers as well. So that's it's an aspiration for me to to attain that. Well, where did they come from? How did you develop your characters, or is, is this maybe explain that process? Yeah, um, I I think I I um I started with two. I started with the idea of a divorced couple. First of all, um, because I'd I'd seen some um, divorced couples who'd who'd worked together well, um, I I liked the idea of a, a strong um, career woman and all the sacrifices that that strong career women make. And I've worked with with many over the years who balanced very complicated lives, you know, as as single mothers, uh, as executives managing both up and down. So I wanted a strong female character. I think is where this really started. And then to give her conflict in her life, I wanted her, uh, you know, her former relationship to be someone who was different from her, yet they still have something of a symbiotic uh, relationship. So um, that male character started as something as a foil for my strong female character, but then he took on uh, a life of his own. And once I had populated um, those two, I wanted to portray a couple of things. Um, I wanted to make sure that I illustrated that even though we're talking about, you know, important things like national security, everyone still works in a bureaucracy and that can be frustrating. You know, we've, all of us have dealt with bureaucracy and bosses and people that, that you don't think see it the right way or have their, not necessarily their best interests at heart. So, so a lot of other characters I, I wanted to, to illustrate that way, both good and bad. Well, how do you illustrate character development and change? Do you plot out what you're going to have, what you want them to be, and write the plot around that? 
Or does the plot sort of exist and you plot your characters along that line? Yeah, that's that's a super interesting question. I, I think the plot exists as the, the, the center of the wheel and the characters are the spokes. And each of those spokes rotates around and each character completes uh, his or her arc. So I definitely try to think about the plot causing a conflict for the characters, for the characters that they must ultimately resolve you know, whether they're a bad guy or a good guy. And in so doing, they start the book one way and they end the book another. Um, and if I've, if I've done my job right, that, that happens for all the principal characters and hopefully with something of an ironic twist as well. When you have a plot that covers things like national security and nuclear negotiations and things like this, in this conspiratorial culture we have of late... Um, do do you ever think about what maybe some of the readers will will read into this story or find in the book? Um, I maybe, and if if they do, I think that that's a good thing. I want there are certain themes um, in in these books, and I've just finished the the third one, and there are certain themes that I I want to get across, and so I hope readers are are actually thinking about some of those things rather than just you know, enjoying an action scene. I want that to happen too. I mean, this is ultimately enter entertainment, but I would like readers to be, to be thoughtful. And in the case of dead drop, um, the, the book we're discussing now, um, one of the things I wanted to get across was the different points of view of the, the Iranians, the Israelis and the Americans and how, how much each of those is influenced by their own political systems um, back back home, and all that comes to conflict through these characters who are who are you know farther down the the pecking order. But I I hope that um, readers will actually learn something about this, that they'll learn a little bit about the Israeli point of view about how Mossad operates, as well as you know why the Iranians think that they are justified in their uh, their pursuit of, um, of of nuclear energy and nuclear weapons. Well, what did MP learn? about himself going from the first book to the second book. How how were you different as of writing a second book? Yeah, the, everyone told me, well let, let me let me say that when <laughs> when Penguin picked up the first book, I had the pleasure of meeting several several authors and it was a multi-book deal for the for the series. And um the, all these other authors said to me, you know, pretty successful guys, uh, all of them best-selling authors. They said to me, Hey, your second book, not to put more pressure on you, but the second book is always the hardest one. <laughs> and, and you need to hurry up and finish it before the first book launches. Because in the, in the year between, you know, having gotten a contract and it actually coming out, you know, it feels like nothing happens. But then when the book starts to come out, you're going to be busy. You're not going to have time to write that second book. So I listened very carefully, um, to that, to that advice. I think writing the second book is hard only because somebody's watching you. When you write that first book, you don't necessarily know, if, you know, is this just a hobby or is this going to go somewhere? And the second book, you know, people have paid you money. And so you are very focused on getting it right. And so the, the pressure makes makes that hard, um, but it also makes you work harder. And I would say that the the thing that I learned is that characterization is just key. Um, the way I see it, you can come up with a plot, but ultimately 
the people move the plot in the story. The, the plot don't move the people. And that's really what I learned in the second book is that anytime I got stuck, I could rely on those strong characterizations I'd built since the first one and, uh, and, and have that push the story forward. Well, you know that the editor is going to, that's an interesting, uh, give me some thoughts. So you know, the editor is going to be reading your book. He's looking over your shoulder. He or she's looking over your shoulder. Are there readers looking over your shoulder now as you write your book? Are you thinking about them? It, it, only in a positive, only in a positive way. I get a lot of encouragement. Um, that's, been, that's actually been something that was surprising to me was, uh, I guess with social media, you know, everyone's, everyone's in touch with everyone if they want to be. And, um, I had, um, I had a lot of reach outs, uh, just on, on, on Facebook or, or Twitter or, or from my website. And, um, some of them almost, I mean, 99% of them are super encouraging. And one that stuck out for me was I got a, uh, a message on, on Facebook from a, from a gentleman. And he said, he said, I love this. I love this book. He was speaking of the handler. And he said, uh, I'm, uh, I really need you to write a sequel and I need you to hurry up. I'm 93 years old and I live in New Zealand. So <laughs> I thought, all right, all right, sir, I will, I will hustle up and make sure we, we get you one. And so here it is. I'm writing it for you, sir. Yes, that's right. Put him in the, you know, hope you put him in the dedication, the acknowledgements, right? <laughs> I, I, you're right. I should. I, 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 that, that was a miss. I should have done that. And then afterwards, he writes a bad review. <laughs> yeah, I'm not in acknowledgments. No. <laughs> Better not. Better not. I can get to New Zealand. Yeah. So are you thinking about violence on the page when you write it? Or are you conscious, you know, in this ever-sensitive world? Or do you just go ahead and write how you think it should be and, and not worry about it? I, I write how I think it should be and not worry about it. And what... What I tried, like, like I mentioned, I think that the genre has changed a little bit. Um, in a Jean Le Carré book, you know, there, there really aren't fight scenes, right? It's all psychological and gamesmanship. And I think in my books, I, I, I want there to be that kind of psychology and gamesmanship. But because the genre has changed to an expectation for action, there's also lots of action. And I never lose sight of the fact that this is ultimately, um, entertainment. And if you've done your job right, the action is the culmination of something rather than just um, being gratuitous, a gratuitous set piece. But when I do get to the action, I try to write it as closely as I can from the the character's point of view with whom the reader should be identifying. And in that point of view, I think it is a desperate struggle. You know, I think you're poking eyes out and biting and scratching and clawing and using, you know, whatever weapon you can get your hands on. Um, and so I, I, I prefer that to be as, as gritty as possible because I think that's how it, I think that's how it would be. Well, then tell me about your bad guys. How do you create or deal with them as you're creating your good people at the same time? Um, I, th I think, uh, one thing that I tried to do with my, with my villains is to, to make it because these are, because these are really geopolitical thrillers. The villains um, have motivations that the reader might not agree with. And so I want the reader to root against the villains. But I also want the reader to understand why the villain's doing what they're doing. I don't think it can just be a, you know, twirling the mustache uh, cutout character who's just, 
you know, a, a sociopath or, a, or, or a sadist. I, I think there's a, there's a place for that. It's just, I don't think that that's necessarily this, um, this genre. So, so the villains that, that I have, I want them to be capable. I want them to be, um, strong characters. And so that when they, when they show up, their, their purpose is that the reader feels real fear for the hero, right? Is, is really worried and sort of it's a blood, a blood, hurtling moment just because they know that that villain is really capable and they know that villain's capable largely because uh, that villain believes in what he or she is doing and they're they're every bit as good as the as the protagonist so that that's how i think of them. Do, you, do you actually have a um subtext or meaning that you want a reader to get you know whether it is you know something that develops organically as the story comes together or perhaps something you put in there is there some sort of a, a thing you want, you know, readers to take away besides entertainment? Without a doubt. Um, and I think it's at two levels. One, I think there's a literary level, which is about theme. And, you know, that for me, um, I won't say what they are. <laughs> I won't say what they are specifically, but a lot of them are rooted in family and um, the value of relationships is a big part of the theme of um, the, the entire Handler series. Um, so there's that literary aspect, which hopefully hopefully gets illustrated through character development and the character arc. Um, but there is also this aspect, because I'm writing about things that are really taken from the headlines, I'm trying to to point out areas that I think are are dangerous, that maybe aren't you know necessarily in the news every single day, but but merit mentioning, and if I've done my job right, I actually I want my leader my readers to learn something about you know that situation or how it's being approached or potential threats there. And and throughout it, like you talk about how um, it's centered on family and relationships and stuff. Um, I can't help but think that um, that's important to you, and therefore you probably have drawn from a lot of your own relationships to put into these characters. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's something that comes with experience and maturity, right? I have uh, children who are uh, 21 and, and 23 now, you know, married a long time, um, have been in a couple different careers. And when you think back over, all, you know, when anyone thinks back, I think, over the experiences they've had, the things that they remember are really the people and the experiences they've had with people and shared experiences. And, you know, when you strip away um, things like uh, material goods or real estate or any other possessions, you know, our most valuable assets are really the relationships that, that, that we have. And a big part, I think, of writing compelling fiction has to do with characters experiencing emotion, you know, over relationships and also um, wondering how much they can trust uh, people. That that's you know betrayal is something that that happens a lot in 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 life and in fiction, and that's a, that's a betrayal of trust. And so this question of who can you trust, how much can you trust, I think putting that in an espionage drama or a geopolitical drama um, is something that brings the characters to life. Do you think this is so? We were at a party. I asked you this question because. Everybody's got a book inside of them, right? So you say, do you think anybody can write an espionage book or outside their area of expertise? You've lived it. I lived it. We're writing stuff that we know about. Can 
people who have not lived it write about it? Um, I think they, I think, <laughs> good question. I, I, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a theoretical question. It's not a, there's not a yes or a no because everybody's different, but it's, you know, everybody asks the question to me and I'm like, I don't know, you know, go ahead, give it a shot. Well, I, I, I think, I think writing is a, I think writing a fictional drama, writing, um, an arc of a story is a, uh, it's a job. It's a craft. It's something that can be taught and can be learned. I don't know that the, that most people put a lot of thought into it, but if, if they did, they could certainly get that part. Um, and when it comes to populating it with things like tradecraft, it, there is a shocking amount, shocking amount of information available today. Um, people call it uh, open source intelligence or OSINT. And, um, almost anyone really has access to, to these kinds, to these kinds of tools. And I think we've seen from journalists who, you know, haven't necessarily lived the life of the, of a, of a person they're interviewing or writing about in, in nonfiction, but they do a, such a good job of, of explaining it and bringing it to life. I think that proves that, you know, you don't have to have lived it to have done it. Whether anybody can do it is probably more a question of dedication and, and skill. Well, do you like to write? Oh, I love to write. I write every single day for a couple of hours at least. And, uh, it's, it's what I'm, what I'm usually thinking about until I just, I'm just wrapping up my fourth book, which is a standalone and is different from the, from the handler series. And I just finished the third. Um, handler book as well. And so it's been a particularly active uh, couple of months for me. And hopefully I will have everything wrapped up uh, to be able to take August off and then get back to work uh, with a with a fifth book in the fall. Do you actually keep a series Bible or do you sort of have a, um, a way of keeping track of characters throughout your, let's say, in this uh, Handler series? Uh, a little bit. I, I, I think that I keep notes. I keep a running diet. What would I call it? A log, maybe <laughs> basically a document that's open at all times on my computer for, um, ideas as well as, um, how, how characters might, might develop. But to be honest, it's, it's never that far from the surface of my mind that, that much. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't think it's that, challenging for to to keep up with my main characters it might be a little more challenging on plot details or minor characters or how am i going to connect this to that that that's that's really where i keep um journals and things of that nature well how do you research i know you've been a lot of places do you you go to the other places you haven't been to and, and scope out locations or what's your research process I, I i do i was super fortunate in that um when when I was uh, in, in the Navy, I was with the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command and worked worked internationally all over the place, really the Middle East as, as well as you know kind of the the Indonesian archipelago, Australia, uh, etc. And then later with um, with Amazon, my job took me to forty different countries as we were opening up distribution for 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 Prime Video. So I, I, I have the benefit of having been to a lot of places. Um, that said, my, my most recent book that I just finished takes, you know, a significant chunk of it takes place in East Africa. And so over the Christmas holidays, I actually went there for, for, for three weeks 
Um, and uh, there's some other there's some other countries I'm planning on visiting because there's just no there's no substitute for for having been there. And and my aspiration is to have to know every place that I'm writing about, to know it, to know it fairly well. I think it just, it makes the writing easier and it makes the the story better. Well, which, which comes first for you? Is it the location, the plot or the character? Like where, where does it start? Uh, I'd say it's, uh, it's the character, the plot, and then the, and then the look, then, then the location. <laughs> um, now that said, I, that's how I think about it in terms of like, if I was going to build an outline, um, but you know the presentation of the story is often starting with a location just because you want to start with the character being somewhere or saying something or experiencing somewhere you know hey they just wipe the grit of the 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 sands of egypt out of their eyes right like you you need to establish that very early in the store in the uh, in the chapter or or scene uh so so but when it comes to Constructing a story, I think it starts with the character. But it sounds like your location—you write it as a character itself, in a way. Uh, in some in some respects, yeah, I think that's true. So, where do you see yourself going with this? Like, what what what's what's next? Uh, obviously, you've written a few other books. It sounds like I have. Yeah. So the the in the in the Handler series, we have Dead Drop. We have Dead Drop now, and then um, there's a there's a third book which doesn't have an official title, so I won't <laughs> I won't. I won't make one up uh, right now, although I have a working title and that uh, that should come out uh, next year. And um, hopefully also next year will be this uh, standalone book, which is a little bit more of a uh, military focus um, and with a little bit more of a, a bent to China. And again, it is a standalone book uh, w- that, that has nothing to do with the Handler series. But that's that's what I'm uh, working furiously to complete right now. So you ever thought about getting out of the genre at some point, going into To Kill a Mockingbird or something like that, or is it could be military geopolitical thrillers? I yeah, you I sure have, um, and I think you, you have to earn your way into that, right? <laughs> um, you know, if you got into the NFL as a as a kicker, but you really wanted to be a quarterback, uh, well, you you got to kick first, you know, um, and and earn your earn your place on the team, and then work on your arm. And uh, I I think that that's that that's that's where I'm, where I'm at. There's definitely things that I would like to explore, um, particularly thematically and, and emotionally that, uh, aren't necessarily, you know, what you'd consider to be in spy thriller, uh, land. But as I said, I know I need to earn that right with, uh, readers and with, uh, with my editor. Well, what makes a good book for you? What's... Yeah, exactly. That's right. Well, what makes a good book? Um, I think super strong characterization. If I feel genuine emotion when, uh, the hero is threatened, um, then I, then I think it's, then I think it's a good book. Uh, I also think authenticity and believability. For me, that's important. You know, I, I have enjoyed the occasional, uh, the occasional fantasy genre, you know, Game of Thrones types of things, but, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm writing. And so I, I think for it to feel super compelling, it needs to feel very authentic and as though, Hey, this could have really happened. And so that's, that's, that's what does it for me. I get people ask me, uh, Hey, uh, what, what classes and training did you take to be a writer? And what should I take? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I just started to write. Did you, 
take any formal training yourself or having ideas of doing that as you move on to the next step in your writing career? You know, you know what? I, I was, I, oddly enough, um, when I was with uh, the U S Indo Pacific command, um, I had this job for about three years where I wrote war games. And not only did I write the war game scenarios for this vast command, you know, spread across the Pacific, I then had to generate all the message traffic and all the, the things that, these these uh these various units spread around the world would would react to in an exercise and so in in doing that i mean i kind of i kind of got into it you know i enjoyed um having a big a big scenario i enjoyed ha- um uh, portraying various uh reactions from other governments other units um and and that kind of thing so that that started it for me almost as like plot training and then in terms of honing the language and the prose I had an unusual, <laughs> unusual training ground in Amazon where, um, you know, as an executive at Amazon, it, it, that, that culture rather famously relies on the written word. Um, PowerPoint is not allowed at Amazon. Everything's done, you know, via a document. The document, um, can't be longer than six pages. You know, your career sort of hinges. On writing these documents, and I and so I think successful executives at Amazon are also pretty good journalists, and um, I got a lot of that training there, and a lot of writing and rewriting, and really thinking about how to portray ideas while doing that job. Well, you got out of the government time because you're going to be replaced by AI now. You can do all these war games. Well, that would be convenient, you know. <laughs> if I could, if I could start there, yeah, maybe I would, maybe I would give it a try. I do think AI is, is super. It, it, its significance can't be overstated. I think it's it's huge, um, but I also think that it's been with us for longer than anybody seems to talk about. I mean, if you think about Alexa, which launched in 2014, you know, what is that uh, other than an AI engine? And so the, this has been evolving for quite a while. I think it's just one of those moments when it broke into the uh, consumer consciousness with with chat gpt that all of a sudden everybody's really thought where this could be headed but many people have been thinking about it um for a long time what's your thought on the chat gpt i mean isn't it in a way isn't it just kind of like computerized plagiarism in a sense uh i think it is a super efficient way to organize all the information that you could go get on the internet and then presenting it in a way that is convenient and consumable for a regular person. And I think that's the magic of it. Um, if you play around, I'm sure, you know, you, you, you've played around with it, but it's a garbage in, garbage out uh, kind of model, right? If it's going, it can go and collect all kinds of stuff sometimes, which is, which is wrong or, or incomplete because it's getting whatever is out there. Uh, so I, I, I think it is, I think it's commercial, um, reality will be that it will be the next version of search. You know, it's, it seems pretty clear to me that this is what Google and Bing will become fairly quickly. And, um, and if you think about what Google has done is, you know, they're the guys, whether you know it or not, that indexed and organized the entire internet. And so I think that they'll continue to do that, uh, as well a couple of other companies and, the presentation of the internet will become more interactive through things like chat GPT and, and other AI tools. Yeah. World's changing. Um, now speaking of that, do you have a big presence on social media? Do you have a web page? How do you like to interact with readers? 
Yeah, I have, uh, I, so, um, I'm, I'm on, uh, I'm, I have a website, mpwoodward.com, mpwoodward.com, and also on uh, Facebook at mp.woodward, and of course Twitter at mpwauthor. Um, Facebook is, is where uh, I find most of the, the thriller readers are, and, and, uh, the, uh, the, the followers there kind of, kind of really blossomed over the last year or two, a lot more than, than I thought they would and, and very organically. So that's, that's super gratifying on, on Twitter. I find that it's, uh, that there's some interaction there as well, but a lot of times it's with other people in the, um, in the, the writing, the writing community, quite, quite frankly. I also keep up with a blog. You mentioned things like, um, like, like AI and we talked a little bit about other geopolitical problems where when I'm in doing my research, I try to about once a month. Um, highlight an article to show, hey, here's something that's going on in the world that you might not have seen. And I like to share those on LinkedIn as well as on, as well as on my, my blog. But, but I often try to relate them back to my tech career and, um, and, and current business. Well, of course, we'll put everything up on the website so people can find you with one easy click and, uh, appreciate it. And, uh, you ever find yourself writing a story and halfway through you kind of get like a block and you don't know where to go? Uh, that happens to me about every uh, every three days. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a system for getting out of it, or do you, do you are you able to put something down and move on to a different different book or a different story? Uh, no, I'm 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 generally one story at a time. But I would say that my I have two two well maybe three ways to to do it. One is um, I try to stream of consciousness, just sit there and, and write and ask myself questions. Well, why would this happen? Well, why would that happen? You know, so that you're, you're logging exactly what you're, what you're thinking in, in real time. And a lot of times that'll, that'll resolve it. The other thing that will resolve it is just stepping away from it for a day or two. And I like to read a lot of nonfiction, you know, um, particularly, uh, things related to research, but I also love to read, historical biographies um, because when you when you're reading those you realize hey here have been extraordinary people who have been faced with with things that they've overcome one way or the other and I don't know why but that has a tendency to 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 make me think a little bit more openly and get out of the the, the mental um, box I've created for myself yeah it's a good idea well we certainly had a pleasure uh, having you on Learned a lot. Now I can write a book and be successful. Just have Chat do it, man. <laughs> Somewhere between the two, I'm I'm sure you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so our guest, his new book's called Dead Drop, and it's a handler thriller. It's book two, M.P. Woodward. Thank you for being here. Alan Joe, it's been my, 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 my true pleasure. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, Hosts or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, all shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. 
This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.